Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Believe in New York Football Podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals and the only place for every New York football team and their fans. Do you believe? I'm your host, Steven Tino Rodriguez, and welcome back to another edition of the Believe in New York Football Podcast. You can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, the Believe website, BLEAV.com. Like, download, subscribe, rate, do it all as always, guys. Always appreciated. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at NYFootballPod and at Tino Rodriguez. Self quarantine continues for yet another week and for at least a month in the foreseeable future. And with that said, the show must go on. We have another big show for you guys today. Paul Catalina from the Believe in Cowboys podcast stops by for a little give and take on the NFC East. We also refresh all the free agency news from the past week for both the Giants and the Jets. But to start us off, let's go with some uh, relatively breaking news here on Tuesday afternoon as the NFL officially makes the new playoff format official. There will be 14 total teams So that means seven teams from each conference will make the postseason uh, with only the one seed getting the bye. Uh, The seeding format will follow. The two plays the seven, the three plays the six, and the four plays the five with the top seeds, of course, hosting the game. Um, Very interesting dynamic. And really the biggest takeaway I can get from this is that for some of the teams like the Giants and the Jets who will be looking to compete, probably middle of the pack. This is exciting stuff because more opportunities and more doors open up for you to get to the playoffs. Now, uh, you know, in divisions like the NFC East, where every team is arguably 500 as they were last year, you know, maybe only one team gets in and it'll just be a division winner. But then it rewards a team who potentially has 10 wins and uh, might be on the outside looking in due to a tiebreaker, and they'll be able to get in. Either way you look at it, it's essentially a ratings thing, Um, getting more teams involved, getting more players and star players onto the big stage. And, you know, for me, it works. Uh, Obviously, this is a very widely talked about thing amongst the player unions, and players were essentially split on this uh, nearly down the middle 
uh, barely getting approved. But on the same note, you know, they'll get more money. The owners are going to get more money. Uh, and for us as viewers, it's more football, which I cannot complain about. We'll have three games on wildcard weekend, which, of course, I can never get enough of. Um, three on Saturday, three on Sunday. Sign me up. Um, more to gamble on, more to watch, more to, uh, you know, debate. So an interesting new format. I think an 18-game regular season is knocking on the door as well, although I haven't heard it officially being approved. Uh, it's right there. Uh, with that, I think they're going to take down a preseason game is what um, was on the table, or that was the speculation. So that'll be the next ensuing move. And just as uh, the sports world is currently up in arms with a little bit of who knows and we don't know what to expect, at least with the NBA and MLB seasons, uh, same goes for the NFL now. We have a completely new format, although it's expected to launch on time. We'll still have a bit of an unknown when it comes time for the season to kick off. So more to be excited about as we wait here in self-quarantine. But with that said, we're going to switch over to recap some of the moves from the past week on for both the Jets and the Giants. Um, the Giants were a bit more quiet, but officially were able to ink some of their deals. The Jets, on the other hand, were still very much active after losing wide receiver and arguably their top guy uh, in Robbie Anderson to the Carolina Panthers. And before I dive into the two new signings from the Jets, let's just recap real quick uh, some more positive signings of the Jets leaving no screw unturned, at least when it comes to homegrown guys who were very productive last season. So the Jets re-signed five key guys, uh, some we've talked about last week, uh, Two I'm going to harp on right now were the two leading tacklers in linebacker, outside linebacker James Burgess and linebacker Neville Hewitt. Uh, both failed to play all 16 games, but really came in and stepped up with the fact that the Jets struggled to stay healthy at linebacker. And both rose to the occasion and deservingly so were brought back, which I'm sure all Jets fans were excited about because, you know, the way they played uh, for guys who had bounced around from spot to spot. Um, it's good to see them come back into a system where they really produced. Uh, Burgess had 80 tackles. Hewitt had 75 tackles. Uh, Hewitt only played in 12 games, and Burgess played in 10. So solid production, especially to lead the team in tackles and really just kind of get thrown in to be a support system. But with that said, I mentioned last week that Jordan Jenkins, the sack leader, will also come back. Uh, another encouraging sign uh, of Having people stay home, that's good work by GM Joe Douglas, as I uh, harped on on last week's show. Um, they also brought back corners Brian Poole and Arthur Mollett. So the Jets keeping people at home uh, on a defense, which wasn't necessarily the issue uh, last season. I think if their team was able to put up a little more points on offense and they were really to get, uh, if they were really able to get that figured out, uh, at least run defensive-wise, obviously their pass defense could have improved, but they were one of the top run defenses in the NFL uh, and they're going to keep most of those core guys there. So uh, with that said on linebackers, they're going to bring in one more linebacker to add depth for a position that, for whatever reason, was just decimated for the Jets last year. They're bringing in Patrick Onwasu from the Baltimore Ravens on a one-year deal. Um, really shores up that linebacker depth is a former teammate of their high-paid middle linebacker in C.J. Mosley, which is nice. Uh of course, Avery Williamson will still be there as well. And, you know, it's a, it's a move that can't really go wrong, in my opinion, as long as they stay healthy because the Jets are loading up at LB, which is great. Uh, 
Onwasu, who's 27 years old, his fifth season in the league. Third on the Ravens in tackles last season. Uh, three sacks, five tackles for loss, a pass defense, and a forced fumble. Um, he's had a forced fumble in each season. Uh, doesn't necessarily cover all that great, which doesn't help the pass defense. He's mostly a sack guy. Uh, his best season was in 2018. Uh, arguably his best season with five and a half sacks. In 2017, he had 90 tackles, which was uh, you know top notch, and that would have led the Jets this season as uh, Burgess only had 80. But nonetheless, uh, a very strong move. I think Onwasu is a uh, solid, interchangeable guy, uh, whether he's going to start or not. I think he's just, again, going to depend on the health of the uh, of the team. And I think Greg Williams has a lot of new shiny pieces to really plug and play in positions and formations of, you know, at his disposal. He has them all at his disposal, which is, you know, a dangerous thing when you think of a Greg Williams defense. But now the Jets didn't only get better on defense. They decided to make an improvement to the offense, or it really depends how you look at it as they lost Robbie Anderson, as I noted at to start this segment. Uh, and to replace him, essentially, what they're going to do is add Brashard Perriman, the former first rounder from the Baltimore Ravens. Um, he played with Tampa Bay last year, but they're going to add Perriman uh, to really be that big play, deep threat downfield. And really at his best season last year, he hasn't really panned out. has been a bust for most standards as a first rounder, but had himself a full season's worth of action in the final four games of the season for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, was a fantasy football stud, uh, someone everyone in the midst of the playoff uh, chase last season picked up, and if you did pick him up, he definitely helped your team out. Uh, I know I did that myself. Uh, in the final four games of last year, 20 catches on 32 targets, 419 yards, five touchdowns. Uh, on the season, he had 645 yards. Uh, that really puts that into perspective for you. Uh, didn't get too much shine with uh, Godwin and Evans going off the way they did early in the season, but then Perryman really just exploded and came on uh, towards the tail end, showed off his speed, showed off his uh, size, and just, you know, really turned up. And on a one-year deal, I think this is something that the Jets are thinking buy low and really just wish for the best at. Uh, I think after Anderson leaves and just only signing Perryman, that probably puts him in line to potentially... S- really draft someone, uh, a wide receiver, at 11. It's not going to be the move uh, I even talked about. I think uh, they're going to want to get alignment. But with the amount of moves they made on the offensive line, this free agency, um, and losing Anderson and really only having Crowder and Perriman to show for it, I think if they went receiver there uh, with either C.D. Lamb or Jerry Judy, I, I don't think any Jet fan would be upset about it. And I think that's something that uh, they're going to have to think long and hard about uh over the next month as the NFL draft is still set to kick off on April 23rd. Uh, We'll all be in quarantine still, at least until April 31st. Uh, So we'll be locked in towards the tail end of the quarantine. You know, it may get extended, may not, but we'll at least have some relief at the end of the month to really try to get us back into the groove of sports as the NFL draft is nearly three weeks away. Now, on that note, we're going to switch over to the Giants side of things. And although they did not officially sign anyone new, there is some updating to do as they finalized signing James Bradbury and Blake Martinez to their deals. And now that the numbers have officially been released, uh, it's not exactly as I've talked about or we had previously known. Of course, the Giants are still avoiding these monster contracts down the road. They're going to 
still necessarily front load with all the one-year deals they have. But now the big guys in Bradbury and Martinez were the people to get three, four-year deals. Uh, both of them really getting three-year deals with some guarantee money involved. Nonetheless, uh, what the numbers came out and said was that Bradbury is getting a $9 million signing bonus, $3 million roster bonus. Martinez is getting $6 million signing and $4 million roster bonus. But what what does that exactly mean? Well, when you look at it and break it down with the signing bonuses and the roster bonuses, the Giants are actually putting money down the road on those two guys for 2021 and 2022. Uh, I'll break this down for you real quick. So in 2020, Bradbury is getting 10 mil. Uh, with the change, he was getting 16 mil initially. So that's 6 million off the top. And Martinez will also get 10 mil this season. And he was at 14 mil. So that's another 4 mil. So they're saving $10 million with this move. Uh, what that does is Bradbury is going to get 17 mil next season. Uh, that was at 14. And Martinez is just going to get a slight increase at 10.2 and 10.5 down the road. Um, but yeah, what does that jump mean? What does the $10 million in cap space mean? Well, the Jets, uh, the Giants have a lot of room to play with, is what that means. And it's really going to be just speculation at this point. But essentially what that means is they're not done with free agency. Uh, you know, it seemed like they were with the strategy they were going for, uh, not front-loading a lot of guys. But they may be selling out to front-load big time here. Uh, obviously, the first name and the top guy out there right now that everyone wants to talk about who feels like he deserves the money is Jadavion Clowney. And they do have the money to do that now. Uh, obviously, there's a guy who was on our team last year who's pretty high up there too, and Marcus Golden. And Everson Griffin's name is also floating out there. Those are three guys who are sitting amongst the top 10 free agents. All edge guys. All would help this team put some pressure on the quarterback. Um, I don't know if Gettleman decided to do this because he knows this is a win-or-go-home season for him. And I think, you know, as much as he wanted to take care of business uh, in terms of front-loading things and doing it different, I think he also knows he has to win now. And what those moves do is clear up the space that he, if he gets a guy like Clowney, you'd think this defense and you add Isaiah Simmons, I mean, you talk about a team that is going to actually try to win now or – even if you get Clowney or you decide to bring back Golden on a cheaper deal, you can make another move. And, you know, if you draft Gold, uh, if you get Golden, if you get two guys, um, there's just a lot more room to play with and it helps you with that draft pick. Uh, with the way it looks, they're going to sit firmly at number four and just take either an offensive lineman or Isaiah Simmons, which I think if they add other pieces this offseason, if they're not done yet and could add an edge and potentially someone else, um, it'll be interesting to monitor. And I think it's going to be really interesting to monitor because tell me, $10 million is a lot. That's a lot of room to play with. And I think they already had uh, prior to about 18. So that's enough uh, for you to really get some production and uh, get some gain out of all this, especially with some of the top guys still available. So we'll wait and see. But uh after officially signing those guys, those guys, I, I assume, passed their physical and inked the deal. Uh, we see the numbers, and now now we can just roll up our sleeves and just wait and see what Dave Gettleman and uh, the New York Giants are thinking. Uh, I'm excited to see what they do. Uh, if they do get clowny, uh, we'll see how they decide to structure that deal. But as of right now, there are no whispers. Just We just know that Gettleman's restructuring. It looks like this year is a prove-it prove it year for him. He managed to uh, stick around, and 
it looks like he's going to try to make the most out of it. So we'll see. So far, he hasn't crippled us down the road if he does leave after this year. Uh, but with one more move to come, we'll see what he decides to do. But now we're going to switch over to my interview with Paul Catalina. Paul is a part of the Believe Podcast Network. He hosts the Believe in Cowboys podcast. And a really good give and take from both uh, Paul and myself. We just kind of recap uh, expectations on some of the uh, like-minded people coming over to the Giants, as in Jason Garrett, Mark Colombo, and uh, you know Cam Fleming and whatnot. So very exciting stuff uh, for Giant fans if you have any interest in the Cowboys. He also recaps some of their moves, uh, the situation with Dak. And we talk about pretty much everything from... Uh, the Giants, the Cowboys, to the Tiger King, and uh, yeah, really good interview, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Here he is, Paul Catalina. Now I'm joined by Paul Catalina. You can follow him on Twitter, at Paul Catalina. He's the host of the Believe in Cowboys podcast. He's also part of Sikkim365.com radio. Uh, Paul, I'll start with this. Caution me on what I'm supposed to expect with Jason Garrett as my offensive coordinator. Uh, I don't think you're going to be very excited. Mm -hmm. I think everything will be very steady. I'll give you the pros and cons of Jason Garrett. The pros of Jason Garrett are – that he believes in big, strong offensive linemen. He believes in a running game, things that, you know, will match Saquon Barkley that will help Daniel Jones. He, he believes in that kind of stuff. The problem is, is that once everybody's figured it out, he doesn't adapt very well to it. It just kind of stays the same way. And I don't know if it was his choice not to interfere with Scott Linehan or if it was just how he did things. I, I'm not sure how that, that all worked out. But we saw what happened when they last year when they let Kellen Moore loose, how good the offense really got, and it, which was fantastic. That's not the reason that they lost any games last year for the most part, the offense. It was that their defense was pathetic. That, that, that's fair. And we'll get to your defense in a second. See, so from what I remember from the years of Garrett just being focused on the offense, obviously he was the head coach overall. But before they switched to Kellen Moore, really the only complaint I had seen as just a, as an outsider was that, he was very conservative down the stretch. He can put together a script once that run game's going, very balanced attack, it works. But then when you kind of have to think outside the box and get creative a little bit, like you said, once a team figures you out, you got to add a wrinkle in there and change things up a little bit. And just that conservative nature, I feel like I saw them turn to the running game, like down the stretches of games, and it would just find them in a corner in a bad third down. Or late in the game, they're like running the clock and they would end up shooting themselves in the foot and running out of time. So that's what I'm worried about. But from a production standpoint, if you're telling me I could sign up for a productive Saquon Barkley, there were years – there were games last year he ran for about 10 yards a game. So I'm just looking for this guy to not just barely cross 1,000 yards but actually surpass it by, you know, X amount of yards ahead of, you know, the last game of the season. Yeah, I, I, I think that you're going to see that with – with Jason Garrett there because Saquon Barkley, he's a horse. That's what you, that's what the giants drafted him for was to be the horse. And then they kind of got away from that. And I know the part of it was he was injured last year, but a healthy Saquon Barkley is where the offense needs to run through completely, especially with the fact that they don't really, they're not knocking it out of the park with go-to wide receivers. You know, that like that 
that's not where they are right now. So they, they need to build the offense around Saquon Barkley. They need to build up that offensive line, which, as you know, has been abysmal for a long, long time and really ended, I thought, ruined any kind of good legacy that Eli Manning would have had on the way out the door. Here's a guy who won two Super Bowls, and, you know, he's just kind of maligned on the way out. And part of that was, yeah, he didn't – he you know, he got old and he wasn't as good, but what did they give him to work with? He was running for his life every game of every season the last four or five years. Well, see, the thing was, too, he couldn't even get outside the pocket. He yeah. implode from the inside out. That So he started this thing, and I, I used to make fun of it. It was like a PTSD thing where he'd self-sack himself. The second yeah. he saw pressure towards the tail end of his career, he'd fall. But you know what? That was over years and years of him just realizing. Because Eli, you know, you talk about Iron Man. This man took more shots in his career and just got back up with no issue than anyone I've ever seen. And I think eventually that takes a toll, especially at his age, when he knew that offensive line was rebuilding again. He's like, I'm not doing this. He had to make a business decision, and I don't blame him for it. Like, plus he didn't have the legs to escape the pocket to begin with. So, yeah. yeah. So the thing with the line, too, it's interesting because we're at the number four pick, and no one knows if they're going to go offensive linemen. We have holes in the defense just like Dallas. Uh, it's interesting where they're going with that. I think the funniest move I've seen so far with Garrett is right now we have about five and six tight ends on the roster. Uh, I know most of them are blocking tight ends. I was just curious. I know you guys had, uh, you know, Jarwin. You, know, you brought back Witten again. Is there anything that stands out from those tight end sets that Dallas did, you know, particularly well, you know, in regards to play action and just, you know, helping guys, maybe even a young guy like Michael Gallup in our case, Darius Slayton, you know, get some of these young guys some better looks downfield, you know, by – anticipating the game in a different light, you know, setting up that play action play with good tight ends. That's the only silver lining I could see in signing five tight ends. <laughs> well, yeah. And now I think one of the things you will see, and Jason Witten was the master of this is the option routes that he ran. And, and he's, you know, going to take that to Oakland for this year. I'm sure that's a really all he's going to be there is just this year in Oakland. Or, I'm sorry, Las Vegas. Yep. But I, I'm, yep. I'm still, I'm still adjusting to that, but <laughs> You'll, you'll see the, a lot of option routes. The blocking was, was really good until this really past year because, you know, Witten's older and he took a step back. But, you know, um, covering the team for as long as I have and, you know, I've, I've been to every home game save for, you know, probably three or four for the past eight or nine years, a couple on the road as well. You know, uh, you, you see, you know, when the offense is the most effective is when both tight ends are utilized as weapons. So that's what we saw this year, when both tight ends are utilized as weapons. So, you know, yeah, they've got Evan Ingram, and they've got these other guys, so we'll see how he adjusts to that. Uh, it, I think he's probably better suited right now to be an offensive coordinator, especially for a young team. I do think it's a good fit. Uh, the question will be, you know, how well, how fast it gets, gets off to a start. I think uh, it really boils down to, and I just, maybe because he's saying the right things, I just think Joe Judge is the type of, you know, puts – puts people in positions to succeed. I think that's what he's looking to do with the team. I think he's looking to get the most out of people and uh, bringing in a guy like Jason Garrett. I think I was saying, I'm sure Jason Garrett might not be looking to be an offensive coordinator for much longer, especially after being the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, but he knows he's going to come in to do a job and do a service, you know, to develop Daniel Jones. And he knows that there's a good chance 
that he could look really good if he could put out a product on that field, at least offensively, that looks well. Because last year, I mean, the biggest thing with the Giants is that you have someone like Saquon Barkley, and now you have someone in Jason Garrett who handled Zeke, and you saw the production he got out of Zeke, and everyone uses that model with Saquon. It's like, well, why isn't he doing that? Why isn't he? You know, obviously Christian McCaffrey is blowing the receiving and rushing numbers out of the water, but that's mm-hmm. whole, a whole other discussion. It's just when you see him handle Zeke, all Giant fans can think about at this point is, all right, can we get that out of Barkley? Because other than his rookie season last year, it was very obvious he didn't know his role. They couldn't get the run game going, and they just – I. It looked uncomfortable. I went to yeah. the games too, and you can just tell he was their best player on the field, but he was just out of place, which just can't happen. And I think yeah. that was a big part of Shermer, who was an offensive guy, getting let go because you can't have your best player on the field scraping by. You need him to be a focal point. Absolutely. And, and I think you'll see that with Jason Garrett quite a bit. You know, when it, when it comes to the offense, they'll, they'll be built running through Saquon Barkley, which is the biggest no-brainer in the world. The, the opener last year. The, I, I remember yeah. watching it going, and Saquon Barkley was tearing it up, and then all of a sudden Shermer's like, ah, man, we can't stop Zeke. Or I guess it was, yeah, it was, it was, no, we couldn't stop the offense. Zeke was, you know, just barely there. He had just come mm-hmm. back from the holdout. And the offense is just going great guns for the Cowboys, and they can't stop anything. Zeke, even when he's in there, trying, and it didn't matter who, they couldn't stop anything. So he just decided to go away from Saquon Barkley, which I thought was an inexplicable decision. And – you know, you see where he is now, they've got to feed him. You have a limited window with running backs like that. You have to, I mean, for lack of a better term, and I don't mean to be cruel, but you kind of got to run him into the ground a little bit. Mm. Well, they got, uh, they just picked up Deion Lewis too, who I think is actually going to help them a lot in that, in a sense where he can get off the field on third downs. He can still run in between tackles, stretch the defense out. You know, speaking of that first game though, uh, and I've, again, I've seen this firsthand forever, but I mean, Jason Witten had a coming out party that game. I'm pretty sure on, on the first two drives, he had like six catches. And nothing made me more concerned for the season than watching how our linebackers were covering tight ends than that point. See, I'm all on board that the Giants need to draft Isaiah Simmons because I just can't stand it anymore. I can't stand it anymore. He's a nickel guy. He can cover tight ends. But the amount of times tight ends would just run freely, you know, no hands on him and just – Seeing a guy like Witten, granted, Witten always owned the Giants. That's fine. But at that state, he was, he was hitting these moves. You know, maybe it was option routes. I can't think of it off the top of my head. But he was making them look silly at his age. And it's one thing that I've experienced. It's another it's – a, it's a respect thing. You're just yeah. going to let Jason Witten tear you up on opening game, you know, in the opening game. Like, come on, guys. You know. Yeah. Where, where are we at? Where are we at right now? Yeah, absolutely. You're dead on. And, and look, Witten's going to do that to – I mean, he's going to do that to younger people and in, in experienced defenses no matter, you know, who they are. But, yeah, I mean, you can't let a 33-year-old, 34-year-old tight end run you ragged like that. I mean, he was, he was open. He was open by, by, by a while. I actually wanted to ask you a question about your team dynamic, though, because I've talked about Dak on this show a few times. And we can start – because I feel like that's the big elephant in the room when it comes to the Cowboys. Um, um, I think you guys made the right decision signing Amari to what you did. And we could talk about your defensive signings, but I think Dak is the big elephant in the room because, um, you know, it's just an interesting decision. I mean, you signed him to the tag and, you know, I think Dak hasn't been that vocal about it, but you can tell he's not necessarily happy about it. And I think 
that the Cowboys on that end are trying to, you know, they've manipulated the fact that they took him late in the draft and they were able to do all these things, but now it's time to pay all these guys. Uh, I think they have themselves backed into a corner. So I, I, I just, I disagree with you wholeheartedly there, actually. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, and look, they're not backed into a corner with Dak. Eventually they're going to wind up looking pretty smart because he's going to sign for in the 30s. And then within a year and a half, all the quarterbacks are going to be in the 40s. That's fair. So, so th- this is all part of it. The Cowboys don't lose players they, they want to keep for the most part. Mm. Believe me, if they really wanted to keep Byron Jones, if they really did, yep. then Byron Jones would be on their team right now. Bottom line, he would be there because Jerry doesn't let people go. So, yeah, they've lost Byron Jones. Yes, they've lost Randall Cobb. But those are guys that are – I mean, it's going to be hard to replace Byron Jones as a good player. But I, I think they're in a fine spot with Dak. This is all just negotiating. And he'll be the quarterback there for a long time. And I think it's a good decision. He's, he's one of the top ten quarterbacks in the league, no matter how you slice it. Is he one of the top five? No. But you don't just – there's not a farm that you go to and you're like, give me a Mahomes. I'll have yeah, Mahomes yeah. and a Brady and, and just and throw in a couple other things here in the truck. That's not really how it works. So, Do you think, though, that they're stepping on toes then by kind of procrastinating procrastinating the decision with Dak. So look, my thinking is you're right because Mahomes is going to have to get that deal, right? And he's going to be through the roof. And at this point, I'm sure it's like the Zeke thing, you know, what happened with Melvin Gordon. Like they want to be the highest paid at the position right now until he gets surpassed. So do you think prolonging it? I mean, I don't know your cap situation, but do you think prolonging it kind of keeps a sour taste in his mouth? Uh, I I mean, only temporarily. I don't think it's going to be something that he – uh, you know, he, he laments for the rest of his career. I think, I think once they get it paid, like, and that's what it is. The things, these guys fight with contracts and fight with contract, and eventually they get it done and everybody's happy. And Dak will be happy once, once it's done. I mean, that's, that's just how it's going to be. So that, that won't be a problem, I don't think. I, I think everything will be fine down the line. But, uh, I mean, they've probably cost themselves some money for not, you know, doing it last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but – I don't think, you know, Jerry's not going to miss any meals. The Cowboys are going to be fine cap-wise. Ultimately, they haven't been in cap trouble in a real long time. So, I, I, I think they're going to be all right. I mean, okay, so. again, if, if they, they were ready for this the whole time, and I think they thought it was going to go this way because I think they knew they were going to force it down this path, yeah. ultimately they would have wanted to get a deal done before the season. But when they saw it was going to go this way, they knew they had, they had weapons in their holster, which was the franchise tag which will help them come to an agreement. I actually don't think it's the money that they're, the problem is from everything I'm hearing. It's the years. years they yeah. want to sign a five-year deal. He wants to sign a four-year deal. So in three years, they can tear it up and do it again, as opposed to in four years, they can tear it up and do it again. Because, again, Mahomes is coming down the line. Lamar Jackson, a lot of these guys will get big deals. Yeah. And he'll be the highest-paid player for, you know, about a half a season before another quarterback signs, and then they'll be the highest-paid player. Okay, so now my question to you here. And you mentioned the defense a little bit, so this might be the answer. But to me, every season as a Giant fan, see, I'm used to it. The Giants are overlooked until they're not, okay? But the Cowboys, America's team, everything's always good in Jerry World. Everything's always good in Jerry World. You never really see it. They'll sign people. They keep the core. And then, you know, no Super Bowl in 25 years. So what, what is your biggest concern in this year that – you know, it's underlining. I mean, I believe it's probably, although you said, you know, Byron Jones is gone, obviously that it's going to leave a hole in your secondary. Is it going to be the back end of the defense? I, I doubt it's going to be the defensive line, but is it the back end or are you worried about the health uh, at the linebacker position? 
Uh, uh, the health of the linebacker decision is uh, uh, the position is is pretty. It's that's B. That's that's problem B. Problem yeah. A is the secondary. You know how good is Haha Clinton Dix really? He's mm. on a one year deal. You know Cheeto Ouzier is in the last year of his deal. So those Jordan Lewis. You know what, those are the your starting cornerbacks with Anthony Brown. All those guys are okay. None of them are great. So scheme wise, what can Mike Dolan do? to accentuate their talents. They probably draft a defensive back at 17. Yeah. You know, that, that's probably where they go, unless someone like Javon Kinlaw falls to them, which could happen. But I, th- I see them drafting a defensive back, a cornerback at 17. So how does that all work out? How immediate impact can that person have? And, you know, I think the, the season, and if they're better or not, really relies on the defense. The offense is pretty well set. I do wonder how the retirement of Travis Frederick affects anything. But yeah. the Cowboys were kind of ready for that when they drafted Connor McGovern last year because they didn't know if they were going to get anything else out of Travis Frederick anyway. So they were kind of ready for that, that eventuality with, with, with Travis. So he's gone now, which is a huge bummer, not only on the line, but leadership-wise. Uh, I, but that, I think that, that's far down the list. The bigger questions come, what can Mike Nolan do to make the defense better? Because you know, everyone believes that Mike McCarthy you know, and Kellen Moore will get the offense right. But the defense, what happens there? And are they going to be better enough to make strides to be better than one round of the playoffs, maybe a win and then losing in the next round? Get to the damn NFC Championship game. For the love of God, let's stop all this ridiculous hype and just get to a damn championship game. You guys refuse to win last year. You guys refused to win the division last year. You did your best. You were like, nope, we don't want it. We don't want it. Take it. You gave it to Philadelphia. I yeah, yeah. I remember watching the season and I'm like, neither of these teams want to win. It's no. like none, nobody nobody wanted the title of NFC East champion. No, it was but, it was a weird vibe in the locker room last year too because it's a team that all liked each other and all respected their coach, but it was like the slow burn of them realizing his effectiveness is over. Like the we're, the message is lost somehow, and we're we're all not getting it. That was kind of the vibe in the in the locker room. Because they all love Jason Garrett. They all respect him. They all want him to be the coach. But at the end of the day, it was, well, you know, he's, he's just not effective anymore. Well, I will, I, I'm going to throw a, a compliment to Dallas, though, because you were talking about the defense. I mean, I think Demarcus Lawrence is, I mean, just a freak of nature. And I think your team, and I've always said this, uh, that they're set up to help a bad secondary. I mean, I was a Giant fan, and I – like saw our own defensive front do that. If you can control the clock with a run game, game manage with a quarterback, score enough points, and have a pass rush to disrupt a quarterback, I mean, you don't have the best secondary, but it helps It helps when they can't get those deep routes downfield because there's constant pressure in his face. I think Lawrence is a beast. I think Don Terry Poe has something to prove, but Jerome McCoy is someone who, I mean, I don't know what they were doing in Carolina. I, I don't. I don't know where it all went wrong. I don't know really his story with leaving Tampa. But the thing is, I know what he's capable of. And if you get an ounce of that with some of the guys you've been rotating in and out, uh, I just – Dallas has always had an eye for that defensive line, at least over the last half, half decade, decade. Well, well, well part, part of that is that is that Rod Marinelli did. Yeah. And he's yeah. gone now. But I do think Demarcus Lawrence, Gerald McCoy, Don Terry Poe, Tyrone Crawford, yeah. uh, he'll be back. Uh, Dorrance Armstrong is a young guy, a rotational player that they really they really like. Antoine Woods will be in that. So they have a nice Tristan Hill last year's draft pick really needs to step up. But 
they they really have done that well, and I think the focus, at least for Mike Nolan, is going to be get to the quarterback with the front four, cause some pressure, and have some relief on that secondary, which is going to be the weakness of the team, yeah. or or looks like it could be. We don't know. These guys could all, you know, come out of this and hit their stride all at once. Right. But I, I I do think that that's been the focus is you know clog up the run game with Poe, get some good pass rush with with Gerald McCoy, and and look, the reason they're not back in Carolina. And I can speak to this very well because Matt Rule, the new head coach there, uh, you know, was here for the last three years. I know him really well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like he's got carte blanche to build how he wants it. He, you know, he's got time to rebuild. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't have to be beholden to anything. That's why Cam Newton's gone. So yeah. the, his, you know, those cuts are the Cowboys gain and that, all right, or, you know, walking away from those guys and not signing veterans. That's what the Panthers need to do now. The Cowboys probably need to do that more because they're closer. The Panthers are in a rebuild. So, you know, those guys are on the street because of, of where Matt Rule is taking over that, that job. No, absolutely. I, I was going to ask for your uh, – what am I thinking of? Just, just your feeling on uh, Cam Fleming. Just your thought of it, um, what he did for the Cowboys last year. Obviously, we're signing him. He's, he's going to come in and step in and play for that right tackle position the Giants desperately need. Uh, help on the offensive line from what I saw from what I saw what he did in New England I think you know he's a big body agile for his size uh, more than capable of winning over the right tackle position obviously he wasn't a set starter for you guys but did a few things when there were injuries that popped up if there's anything that stuck out for you and just you know your overall thoughts on him yeah I I liked what he did when he had to step in I mean he's a he's a good player he's a he's a he's a very solid player and I I think that, uh, you know, if he's in that role, that's where he's got to be. But I, I don't know if he has to start or not. I have, I have no idea. So, um, well, see, my thought is beggars can't be choosers. And so when you need help uh, bringing in a guy like that, played in the Super Bowl before, has some experience on a solid offensive line, has been around, you know, a bit of excellence before, can never hurt. See, no. my whole thing is, and I think if you listen to Joe Judge's mantra, it's all about uh, – competition getting everyone better and I think when you're trying to turn a program which is what the Giants have to do they've never committed to a rebuild I I couldn't even tell you if they're still rebuilding because Dave Gettleman's the GM and he'll never admit it but the point is when you're trying to take out those bad eggs and you're trying to get rid of you know these old parts to the team and just build it back up a big part of it is kind of that old school mentality that he talks about in competing for your spot I mean Judge refuses to name anyone in his press conferences I think you know it's, a, it's very different from anyone else in the league other than, like, Belichick that I've heard. But at the same note, it's like, you know, when you won four games or less for the last X amount of years, who deserves to have their name dropped? You know what I mean? So I think a guy like Fleming comes in there and just adds that little pedigree that I think the Giants need. Granted, he's not going to pop off your, you know, the, pop off the film or just – it's not like he lit things up in Dallas. But I do think him playing in Garrett's offense – and, you know, just seeing that and being with a guy like Colombo, who's going to be his coach, just having that familiarity with him is a nice touch. I'm actually kind of relatively happy about that signing, especially on a one-year deal. Yeah, absolutely. He, he's, look, he's a swing tackle, and he'll play well when, when he's got to play. And that, that's what you want from your swing tackle. He, he's going to be good. And, and maybe if there's a young guy you can push and teach a little bit, I think Cam Fleming's going to be great there. I think he'll be fine. It's a good fit. They've got a lot of good fits there. You know, look – uh, I'm, 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 you know, personally rooting a little bit for Corey Coleman to come back well from injury. We've known him, mm, you yeah. know, for a long time. 
Uh, if he can actually put it together, he's a guy who's got a lot of skill. He's just coming back from a real tough injury. Yeah, you know? the, I mean, Corey Coleman's my guy. I was actually rooting for him as well when they first signed him. And uh, when they signed him at the time, they were well worse than they are now at the wide receiver position. So he had a legitimate chance to see some actual playing time. And then uh, he really just did special team stuff for the most part and was coming on last season and then just, you know, yeah. I mean, nasty injury, but he's back. He's back, and I think he's going to – kind of go back into the same role he was in, punt special teams, kickoffs. But if he still has that speed, if he could still show that speed, I mean, he's a quality number four for the Giants right now because I like where Slayton is. I just think uh, Golden Tate can be utilized on the outside. It's just very minimal because of his size. Uh, and Shepard's going to be on the inside as a slot receiver. So, I mean, that's something entirely in itself. But I think Corey Coleman's potential is there to say the least. I mean, the guy was a talent at Baylor, um, deserving of a first-round pick, and just it's just crazy how his situations have fallen out so bad, just, you know, with Cleveland and just, you know, to where he is now with the injury. Yeah. All right, well, where do you feel like they're, they've gotten better? Do you, do you like the Bradbury signing at cornerback? Is that something yeah. that's going to make them better? Or, yes. uh, and Blake Martinez bringing those guys in? So, you know, Blake Martinez is a, it's a bit of a, a toss-up just because of Corey Littleton being on the board, and I think that's where Giants fans can split the difference. And, and it's fair. I, I get that because if you look on the tape, you know, Martinez lacks the space, uh, the spacing of a linebacker and coverage and just like the speed. But, you know, I like that he's a proven tackler. Uh, Bradbury is a signing I really do like. I think people are very easy to pick on him. Uh, I think he's – the numbers prove it. I, I've – you know, retweeted all the P, uh, pro football focus stuff. And I'm not going to ride on the pro football focus train because they also gave him a terrible grade for whatever that means. But the point was they put out the people he blanketed last year. You're seeing Julio Jones twice, Michael Thomas twice. You know, you're seeing some of these most talented receivers, Mike Evans. And overall throughout the whole season, he allowed one touchdown. Now say what you want, but the guy also comes down, makes tackles and he's, the Giants' defense was in such shambles last year. I mean, I watched them play the Cardinals. And there are certain games when you're a fan, especially being there. I think this is why this one sits in my head the most. But uh, just being there and you're watching a team, that was the first game that you didn't even play David Johnson. And you had Chase Edmonds running all over the field. Just linebackers were nowhere. Cornerbacks, secondary guys, no one's downhill. It was – it's pathetic at some point. And it's, it's just – you need guys that can at least do the bare minimum to me. And I'm not saying that he's going to do the bare minimum. I think he could be the best player on our defense by far, just from the cornerback position and from what he's proven. He's a tall guy, can ride a hip pocket of your best receiver, and it helps you have to focus on your number two. But aside from that, the Giants needed help. They need, they need five tool guys, but even if they're not five tool guys, I'll settle for three or four. Like a guy like Blake Martinez to me, that's a three or four tool guy that at least he's going to set up your defense. He's going to command it and he'll show up to make tackles. He had a terrible NFC championship game. I'm aware. And he looked really bad in it, but you know what? It happens. People have terrible games all the time. I played linebacker. Sometimes they scheme around you. Sometimes you just, you're slow. You're heavy in your shoes. Sometimes as a linebacker, you know, there's a lot of weight to uh, weight to support there. So I think Martinez helps. I think a guy like uh, Fackrell, who's going to be a fit for Patrick Graham. He's a guy who also came from Cleveland, uh, Cleveland from Green Bay, who uh, had his best season under Graham. He's a guy who got forgotten about last year in that system because Preston Smith was such a house. And so 
he's a guy that, again, and for us, all these deals make sense because for the most part, other than Bradbury, I mean, Martinez signed something further than a one-year deal, but they're very low risk to me and it's not cap heavy. And so what I think a lot of Giants fans were expecting them to do is a Nate Solder contract where it's like, let's get top in the market, give him X amount of years, whatever he wants. We need to fill the need. And it's like, I think they knew they needed to fill the need, but at the same point, it's like, we're not going to do this the same way we've done it. I think Bradbury is worth the years and especially at the cornerback position. He's one of the top guys on the market. He wasn't going to get Byron Jones money, which I did not. I wasn't even remotely upset about that. I didn't think the Giants were in on Byron Jones. And I know Philly was more in it. And it's like, there's no need to overextend like that. I think Bradbury will do the trick. And I think he's a guy that a lot of people count out. And I think he's going to have a chip on his shoulder, especially playing for a city like New York. I think he's going to have something to prove going against some of those guys, you know, especially like Amari Cooper. If he shuts down Amari Cooper, we're having a completely dis- uh, different discussion. Uh, despite him shutting down Julio Jones and Michael Thomas and, and some, which is still crazy to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and those guys are, are a little bit ahead of Amari when it comes to the best receiver. I mean, there's are probably one and two to me in the, in the receivers in the league, mm-hmm. but uh, I like, I personally like what the giants did in that they didn't, you know, yeah, they've got multi-year deals on Martinez and, and Bradbury that you do, but all the other free agent signings are one-year deals, short-term deals, because they're going to try to build, with young guys, which when you have a young quarterback, a young running back, that's what you need to do. Build with youth. Don't put these young guys in with guys who are at the end. Build with young guys and, and start from, from young up uh, and pepper with veterans. That's yeah, what's going to help you win long-term when you have Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. Do you like that they haven't gotten like crazy deep into free agency and that the deals they've made are – I mean, three and four years or I guess three years and four years? Bradbury and Martinez you'll see yeah so here's here's the thing though so yeah I mean I do like what they've done so far I do like that they haven't uh crippled themselves because right now the biggest thing was so Leonard Williams is going to be up there he got the franchise tag of course but other than that it's really sold there it's really sold there right now and they'll still have Jones under that rookie deal so they'll be able to maneuver for the next coming years see the thing is though so I heard Judge speak at the combine and I think you know it's again it's a very different approach than what you usually hear but he's talking about how we're not bringing in veteran players to tutor these young guys. We're not bringing in young guys to pair with veterans. I mean, a lot of people look at it that way. And I'm actually a believer that I, I do think that helps. I do think that if you do have a veteran guy, it could definitely help. But at the same point, it's like, you know, that's not everything. That's not football. You know, just getting a guy that likes each other and putting them on the field and hoping they can talk through everything because it still looks really bad sometimes. The product on the field still looks still, – it's still very hard to watch. So yeah. I, I think – on that note, it's like, I think you try to find the chemistry where you can. I think getting guys in positions like Fleming and uh, Fackrell that have played with coaches before is part of it. I think that chemistry matters much more than getting guys on the field that, you know, oh, he can be a higher up or he can be. So, like, they had Antoine Bethay, and they're like, oh, but that's a good fit for Jabril Peppers. That's what I heard. He's like, oh, you know, when Bethay was younger, it's like, yeah, but you're going to have Bethay out there, and his wheels were falling off. And it's like, okay, you're going to tutor him up. That's great. But if he's actually seen the playing time and you're paying him to see the playing time, it, that just doesn't add up. And yeah. so I do like the approach they've made where it's like, you're going to come here and a lot of these guys are overlooked. They're not really on the radar guys. It's like, play for your spot. You know, you're on this one-year deal. I think most NFL players aren't looking for that. Most proven NFL players aren't looking for that. And that's uh, understandable with the money and the guarantees out there. But on the same note, they're giving them a shot. 
they're giving him a shot. And a lot of the guys like Fackrell and uh, Martinez, they're going to be comfortable in the situation, especially being with a you know, coach they've played with before. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how Joe Judge does. And, and you, you've talked throughout the thing about how uh, through our conversation here about how, you know, he's all about competition and that's really what they need. Uh, I, I'm, I'm curious to see where the Giants go with Dave Gettleman and, and Joe Judge in charge now and, and see if, if they do get better. This is a division that's wide open. I mean, I think the Redskins are probably a little further behind everyone. I mean, I guess it's not fair to say the Giants have picked two picks behind them, but the Giants, to me, with a quarterback who's a little more established in his first year than Dwayne Haskins and Saquon Barkley already there are a little bit of ahead of the Redskins when it comes to it, but, but I guess we'll just see. Uh, I think you know. the Redskins really hurt themselves last year getting Haskins, and it's not because I have anything against Haskins or even the Giants linking thing. I think when you really look at it, the Giants have been linked to the successor of Eli for a while, and nobody even expected to come with Dan, Daniel Jones at that pick, obviously, but it happened and it worked out. Another thing with Haskins was, and I, and I remember hearing this over and over again, was just that there were so many other holes that executives and members of the Redskins said they needed to fill before quarterback. It was just very obvious. You got your left tackle, who's a stud, who is very unhappy there. He's about to be gone. So you need lineman help. You need defensive help. They paid Landon Collins, and he hasn't turned out from the Giants. And it's just like, you need a little bit of everything, just like I feel the Giants need as well. That's why I'm saying I'm not going to, you know, get on my high horse here. I just think that getting Haskins and then being linked to potentially taking Tua this year is just a bad look, and it just shows that they really do have to – reshape under Ron Rivera because there's a lot of work to be done there in my yeah. opinion I mean I think you saw it last year especially when the Giants and the Redskins faced off yeah absolutely absolutely yeah and I, I just I think that you know the Cowboys and the Eagles are going to be the you know that's going to be the race but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see you know the Giants improve a little bit and well, I say this and I know man. that people Cowboys fans will will kind of laugh but Jason Garrett offensive coordinator with Saquon Barkley will work out well at least in the short term yeah and I think uh See, the biggest thing with Daniel Jones, I mean, you can't beat yourself. So if we could keep him upright, partially upright, and uh, they somehow can critique his uh, fumbles. I mean, his turnovers, the interceptions when they came, I mean, some of them were like, uh, okay. But for a rookie, I mean, if his biggest gripe was that he had fumbles but had vision, awareness, pocket presence, knew how to make plays, and let a few comebacks in the process – I mean, those highs really do outweigh the lows, even though if you're not watching every game day in and day out, it's very easy to overlook it because you see how many turnovers he has. But, you know, at the same point, we talk about offensive line play. You know, a rookie quarterback isn't going to know how to protect his blind side. That's why you're paying Nate Solder. And a lot of his fumbles came from just blatantly getting stripped from his blind side. So I think it's an awareness and instinct and a feel thing that definitely comes more when you play the quarterback position uh, in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I had um, a few more questions. Now, I already busted your chops before this, but again, congratulations on winning the ACC tournament by default. You corrected me. You did win the regular season outright, so there you go. I'll give you that. The the tournament, I think they should just put that trophy in in like a drawer somewhere. Fold the flag up, fold up the banner and just – Yeah, just a thank you, you know. I've just put up the ACC, yeah. So – so I was going to ask you, though, so because um, this is your guy. This is the only other FSU question I really had. And I was a big fan around this time. But your boy Jameis, what's going on? Is it, has he always had eye problems? Has, like, yeah, all yeah. the interceptions haven't gone anywhere. But he's got LASIK now, but he doesn't have a team. So we won't know if he's better or worse yet. So what's going on? 
So, somebody's going to eventually sign him for dirt cheap. I mean, he, they're going to get him, and he'll be their backup quarterback. And the thing I would worry about if I was a, a guy and Jameis came in, he's a guy who threw 30 touchdown passes. If he yeah. had a legitimate – like, he didn't have a running game. Why Jimbo Fisher made him successful was he had James Wilder and Dalvin Cook and Devontae Freeman and all these guys with him, and they just fed those guys the ball. You know, so – And Benjamin. Yeah, and he had all these – he had better – well, he had – look, he had Mike Evans and, and Chris Godwin, and that's why he threw so many touchdown passes. Also why he threw so many interceptions because he trusted that a little too much, and he's always trusted his ability more than he should. It's a good – it's like a mm-hmm. – you know, it's a blessing and a curse. But he always – if you look back at some of his old – FSU uh, games, he would like squint yeah. looking at yeah. Jimbo for the call. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he is going to have to find a coach. And I thought Bruce Arians would be the one. He's going to have to not only find a coach. There's plenty of coaches that can make him better. Plenty of good coaches that can make him better. He's got to find a GM that will make him better. And that's not what he had with Jason Lichty in Tampa Bay because mm-hmm. their offensive line wasn't very good for his first couple of years. It started to get better. But then – you know, they're throwing Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones. I mean, like, what are you doing with running back? Like, give him a running That's my favorite. <laughs> take, take the pressure off of him. Yeah. You know? It, look, if you gave him – if they had drafted, which they couldn't have, they didn't have the high pick, but if they had drafted Saquon Barkley, you know, then you've given him something. No, you've I'm given him this, this other – this. you know, you can't say, hey, Jameis, go win the game for us. And then when he loses it, well, you just put it all on him. So it's predictable in NFL offense, you have those receivers. Exactly what you're saying, though, if you don't have a stable enough offensive line to give them the time. You don't have a running game to get the secondary or even the linebackers to commit. Naturally, interceptions are going to rise because yeah. you're going to take deep chances down the, down the field. The, the biggest worry, I think, it wouldn't have been as bad if he didn't have all the pick sixes. I think if he oh, just yeah. led the league in uh, interceptions and touchdowns, people would be like, "Oh, whatever." Like Eli has done things like that all the time, where he's like. His interception numbers are disgusting, but you know what? He can win games. It's not too bad. But when they result to the other team scoring touchdowns and then you got to take the field again, it's just uh, something about that is just like it's not good. And it's going to rub the, the head coach the wrong way, too. I think yeah. that Bruce well, Arians had enough. That yeah, last I'll just I'll, I'll compare it to Tony Romo early in his career. Mm-hmm. Early in Romo's career, like after they had that first wave where they were 13-3, and three, when they lost to the Giants after, after Cabo, uh, but when they lost that game to the Giants, they went through I a couple – to beat a team three times. I'm just going to yeah. say. I to beat a team three times. Yeah, so after they – after that game, they went through a couple years where – and this was before, like, right when Wake Phillips got fired and then, and then the early part of Jason Garrett where they would, like, hey, go win this game for us, Tony Romo. And then he wouldn't win the game, but you put it completely on him. Mm-hmm. So what's going to happen to a quarterback when you say go win the game all the time? Yeah. As opposed – because some days – I like to compare quarterbacks to pitchers when you have to throw the ball. You know, uh, Justin Verlander can have 20 good games in a row and just strike out everybody. But some days he's going to need, you know, somebody to make a diving catch. He's going to, he's going to need, you know, you know, the hitters to, to get up eight to eight to four. I'm a med fan. Just to cut you off, Jacob DeGrom, the guy had to win a Cy Young by barely getting over 500. Yeah, exactly. So you can have a one eight ERA, but if your team doesn't score two runs a game, you're not going to win it. Exactly. So sometimes you need, you need somebody else to do something. And I think that's, I think that's where the Bucks failed Jameis as much as he failed. Like, I think it was a two-way street. I think they failed each other and that Jameis, you know, he made, and he also made some, you know, poor life decisions. I don't think he's really that bad of a guy, um, but he, he does need to, you know, he needed to grow up. And uh, second, like hiring Dirk, like firing Lovey Smith and hiring Dirk Cutter, You'll never get me to buy into that decision. I think that was terrible for everybody around. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
they, you know, they didn't do right by they didn't do right by each other, and it's just best to move on. He'll be the backup for the Steelers or the Chargers or some by the Seahawks or something like that. He'll learn for a year, and then there'll be more jobs open next year, and we'll we'll see what happens. You know, yeah. I, uh, I would it, like I would love to see him go play for Sean Payton. I really would. I think Sean Payton would be great for him. But well, it looks like Sean Payton's buying in on Taysom Hill, which is yeah. a whole other thing to go down. That's a rabbit hole in a in a half. Oh, that's that's a podcast in and of itself, buddy. <laughs> yeah, Taysom Hill, just the story of Taysom Hill. But yeah, I was going to say him and Cam being free agents is uh, just interesting because yeah. those are one ones. They are guys who are proven proven passers, proven NFL quarterbacks right. without a home. I think Cam's situation is even crazier because I think. The Panthers really backdoored him there. I think it was very obvious they didn't really want him, and Matt Rule's your guy. It's just, uh, you know, all these teams have quarterbacks now, and I think Cam's yeah. a guy that probably, despite his injuries, I think teams would have been more reluctant as a former MVP to take the chance on him, especially if they could have bought a little lower than, you know, as expected, and now he's just floating out there. So both those guys are interesting to monitor. I was going to ask, though, Tampa, is it any different with Brady? I mean, same same dynamic. I think their defense is going to be the key there. I think their defense will help Brady out a lot. But like yeah. you said, not much of a running game. They're going to have to help that offensive line. They're going to have to do that. They're going to. We'll see what they do. And look, Tom Brady has more juice to tell them to do things than Jameis did. You mm. know, Brady can just straight up and down tell them, "Hey, this is what I want," and and they'll be like, "All right, you're Tom Brady." <laughs> I mean, you know that. That's the thing. Jameis could say, hey, it would be nice if you guys got me a running back that could walk and chew gum. And they'll be like, yeah, we'll work on that. You know, work on not throwing interceptions. Well, you know, but yeah, that's, I, just, that's just where the league is right now. Well, I think that division is going to be – that's another one that's – see, because, like, I love watching the NFC East because sometimes it's, like, so good it's bad. And, like, some, you just can't get – you can't get enough. You can't take your eyes off the screen. I think that division is going to be a lot of that too. The NFC South has always been infamous, like, for the first to last type of teams, you know, like the Falcons yeah. have like, two wins and then win the division. And there's always the Saints. And then so now you have the Panthers with Teddy going against his former team and the Saints. You got Brady in there. Then you still have the Saints who are so snake-bitten in the playoffs. So it's like you want to write them in. But now, I mean, see, I think the Saints are going to be the team that if anyone's going to fall below expectations, naturally it could be them because – where else do you look? You know what I mean? I feel like the Falcons have fell below the bar so often since the Super Bowl. I mean, every year they, they were supposed to do what the Saints did, and it's like you can't even make the playoffs. They're not even 500 anymore. But now they have Gurley. So there's so many, like, headline-grabbing games, and they're all playing two times a year. I'm actually oh, yeah. very excited for the NFC South. Oh, Gurley playing back home is a great deal. I'm excited oh. about that. Oh, yeah. In Georgia, yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Okay, last question. I had, I had one more question. Tiger King. I have one episode left. Saw you retweeting about it. Just wild. The show. Oh, it's it's nuts. It's nuts. <laughs> I I finished it this like I stayed up last night late watching it, finishing it. I, I tried to finish it last night. I got to like ha like almost to the end of the fifth episode. So I watched the sixth and seventh episodes this morning when I got up, and it's it's so crazy. It's like it starts out kind of funny, and then it's just. It, it gets really dark and sad. And I think it's like, I didn't think I, I didn't realize that to own tigers, you had to be creepy. Like yeah. every person who owns a tiger, it's is seemingly creepy. Like, There's like just, sex cults. There's weird things going yeah, on. Yeah. Weird. Like the, the one dude, it's got like five wives. And then this other guy's like coaxing. He's got three husbands. And it's just like, yeah. oh, oh, no. Listen, if, 
if there's ever a commercial to not do meth, it's Tiger King. You wouldn't know what the craziest part was, and this was the underlying thing. The guy who got busted for being like the Scarface was the most sane Tiger owner out of all of them that I yes! saw. Yes! Yes! This guy was <laughs> shipping pounds and pounds of coke, but he actually cared about the animals. He at least yeah. cared. Everyone yeah. else was so over their what, heads. What really bothered me the most was, so especially for Carol Baskin, who, mm. who clearly murdered her husband. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that, <laughs> first time, that was, second, whatever it was. I like how they devoted the episode to it, by the way. They're like, we're not telling you, but we're telling you. Yeah. So, <laughs> so anyway, so she's at this tiger rescue, right? Mm-hmm. But she's not, they're not sending them back to where India and Africa and Asia. Oh, yeah. They're, they're just, so <laughs> what I thought, if you had a tiger rescue, it would be, okay, this tiger's lived in captivity long enough. We can't just put him back in the wild. But if you have young tigers, you could take them to a preserve in that part of the world mm-hmm. and then reintroduce them into the wild. But that's not what's going on. They're just, you know. It is, it is insane. They're all terrible people. I mean, that, oh, yeah. that was what I got. They're all terrible. I mean, yeah. she's, she just is like on another planet of like wacko because you're right. Yeah. I mean, I learned that early on. I was, so I was watching it with my girlfriend and she's just like, wait, so she's doing the same thing. Right. I'm like, yeah, but worse. Like she's, she's actually doing it worse. She doesn't even have enough space for all of this. Yeah. So it's, it, it was just like, uh, it was a lot to take I, in. I know exactly. Like they kept showing that. I know exactly where that is in Tampa. I used to live like three miles from there. I didn't know that we had a tiger preserve that whole time I was living there. I would not have gone. I wouldn't have paid. They're letting the tigers loose. The one guy was letting tigers loose. He tried to, he like had a farm and it failed. I'm like, this is a mess. This is the whole thing was, I, I had no idea this was an actual problem. I just figured, you know, they go to zoos or something, you know, just never really dug in depth, but, no, we have more tigers living in captivity here than live in the wild where they're supposed to be. That's really sad and weird. Yeah, I know. And Oh, man. And then they, talk, they break it down like they have to use them as cubs. And then once they're older, it's just – it's a crapshoot essentially. But Joe Exotic in himself is just wild. I mean, to have yeah. that personality, this guy was constantly on camera. It's just – so when I was watching it, you want to know it was very funny. Early on, I realized, I was like, if he's, wa- if he's filming himself this much, he's trying to do sketchy things. So I had just watched the Aaron Hernandez uh, Netflix yeah. documentary, and he did the same thing. So he put these cameras in his house because he was so sketched out. He ended up biting himself in the ass because it's like, dude, yeah. you have your own footage. It's like, come on. Like, yeah, oh. well, that's, dr- that's what happens with drugs, man. You yeah. do enough drugs, you start going, well, everybody's against me. Well, yeah, they might be, but stop doing drugs, and you'll, you'll think a whole lot clearer. Yeah, but I wasn't surprised on everything kind of boiling to what it was. He yeah, was just, like, just, just wait till you see all the stuff that happens, at the, how it kind of ties itself up. Yeah, I was excited. I saw you just tweeting about it. I was like, I'm, I got one episode left as of yeah. today, so I'm going to watch it later today. Yeah. Well, yeah. dude, this has been fun, man. We got to do this again. Absolutely. Hey, man, so come season time, we'll definitely do it. We got each other two times a year, so that'll be exciting. Yeah, that'll be good. Um, yeah, I'll let you know how the Jason Garrett project works out. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm sure you'll be watching from afar as well. Yeah, you'll t- if you go to a press conference, he's going to start with, how are we doing, guys? Oh, my God. Yeah, I- I'd much rather just hear Joe Judge speak. It's like yeah. I turn the TV off when uh, Gettleman's on to begin yeah. with. So it's like, yeah. so I'll just yeah. well, Jason right Garrett and Dick Gettleman are about the same personality. So. Yeah, I'll just put like a parental control or just like a filter. <laughs> see, see, see if I can just block it out. Yeah. All right, yeah. man. Thanks for, you know. 
thanks for doing this again. I'm glad we uh, were able to get this done. That interview with Paul Catalina was brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? All right, another big shout out to Paul for stopping by the show. Uh, awesome interview. You could also check that interview out on his podcast. Once again, it is the Believe in Cowboys podcast, also on the Believe Podcast Network. Uh, that's it for today's show for now. Um, we'll be back next week, same time. And uh, to take a little light uh, in this dark time of self-quarantine. So hope you guys enjoyed. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at NYFootballPod, as well as myself at Tino Rodriguez. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Download, like, rate, subscribe, comment, do it all. Um, Again, hope you guys enjoyed. Be safe. Stay indoors. Talk to you guys next week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.